I'm doing great. Uh, at the weekend down here in Florida and, you know, getting ready for the start of spring training. You're down in Florida on assignment, or is this one last uh, personal trip before assignments start? It's a personal trip, but I'm also will mix in a lot of baseball work. <laughs> All right. Well, we know you can't stray too far from it. So you, I'm sure you have your spring training schedule at least for February set. Do you, are you? When do you see in the Red Sox? In for an extended period, actually, in March, uh, we've got a, a, a an exhibition broadcast with the Red Sox on March seventh. Um, and I'm trying to remember who they play. I, I think it's the Braves. And we're doing the game that day, and then I'll be, you know, driving down to Fort Myers on the 6th, and then we'll be there basically for two weeks. Again, combining work and combining personal and, mm. you know, bouncing around and seeing the Twins and seeing the Braves, seeing the Rays, some other teams in the area, but spending a lot of time at the Red Sox camp and trying to avoid all the cameras there. Yeah, going to be a lot of cameras for the Red Sox, maybe even more cameras because of the uh, Netflix docu-series the Red Sox are going to be a part of. Buster, I, I don't, I just don't get this one from a business standpoint. The Red Sox said yesterday this docu-series is one of their biggest marketing initiatives ever. Well, Buster, if you were going to use this as a marketing tool to rebuild the brand and put the brand in front of people, wouldn't you have gone out of your way to make the team a little better and a little more interesting for these camera crews? Yeah, if your focus is on marketing the team, then getting good players would probably be the number one option. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and look, we, I think we have to remember the context uh, for this. Uh, you know, it's, the timing seems absolutely strange now, but just in talking with people within the commissioner's office, this is something that the Red Sox have been clamoring for for two or three years. And, you know, I'm assuming that Tom Warner, you know, has a long history in television, was probably behind this. Uh, with you know, and I'm sure that they went down this path not knowing where the team is going to land in 2024, where it, it seems as if there's some financial issues. They're cutting their payroll. They really haven't added anything uh, during the course of this winter. You know, disappointing. Uh, you know, off season. Alex Cora, you know, entering the last year of his contract. And it's interesting. I saw Rob Bradford does such a great job for WEI, collected some quotes from, you know, players and staffers uh, about this, and everyone's talking uh, about the excitement of it. All I know is, is that when the losing starts, it's going to feel a lot less exciting. Mm. Uh, you know, if they if they wind up losing eight games in a row, they're in last place in the American League East, and cameras are, you know, in Alex Gore's office after a game. I, I, it makes me cringe a little bit. It makes me wince a little bit. Uh, and it might be that, you know, for 2024, it, it, it's going to come off worse than they expected when they went down this road. Uh, the timing just seems so bad for to, to have this happen. Buster, you've been in clubhouses a long time in your career. The thing I wonder about is, like, how forthright – are, are players going to be? And, and and I guess in one way, they're always being watched and they kind of know that. I, I always think baseball players are kind of guarded. Like, I am happy at the unfettered access, but I also wonder, like, are they going to say anything of real note? It's possible they will. I will say, just as being a beat writer, you know, there are times when players get comfortable with you and the guard comes down a little bit. So if you have, you know, producers and camera people that, you know, the players grow accustomed to, then maybe they'll be more at ease. But I don't know yet about, you know, I have not seen a broadcast schedule 
So I don't know if this is a case like Hard Knocks where, you know, they collect two weeks worth of material and then they put it out there. That would probably stunt a lot of the reaction from the players because there would be immediate feedback. Let's say, uh, you know, a starting pitcher gets knocked out of the game. They go in the clubhouse. They wreck stuff. Uh, they're they're upset. They're saying, you know, angry stuff behind the scenes. Uh, the feedback on that would be immediate and, and, and might affect it. And I, that's why, I mean, just the, the circumstances of this. I mean, if you were to have a, a Netflix series on the Dodgers, who are this walking circus right now, uh, and I mean circus in a great way because there's a lot of excitement around the team. It looks like they're going to be great. There's going to be tons of pressure on them as they go to the postseason. That would be a fun watch. This thing has a chance to turn ugly. But, I mean, let's let's not run from that reality. Buster, the only thing I know, and I'm going to talk to Tom Karen next week. Maybe he knows more. The only thing I know is that this is going to be shot in 2024, but air in 2025. And I don't know if they mean it's going to air like right after New Year's leading up to next spring training. So it's like you're going to talk with somebody that was on the team in April, but then is released and we won't have heard from them for a year. That's like I the know. thing that I wonder about the most. Like It's going to be so untimely that I wonder if it will be interesting. Well, I think it will be if, if the players understand that whatever they say uh, isn't going to be broadcast for a year, then maybe they'll be more open. Imagine Alex Verdugo under those circumstances, okay, in 2023 mm. as he's benched and he's speaking into a camera and, and he's under the assumption that no one's going to hear it for a year. Yeah, you, you mm. could potentially get some juicy quotes. And I do, you know, sort of wonder as the season goes along, if it does turn ugly, uh, you know, in terms of the standings, as we expect, you know, how Alex Cora will do and, and you know, what impact that might potentially have on, on his future. Um, I, I, I it, it does make me cringe, uh, you know, given the circumstance, given the pressure that's going to be on the players to begin with, the inherent pressure of playing in a big market like Boston. I, I, I wonder if this is going to backfire. And the interesting thing is, it feels like with all the things that have happened this winter, and I assume Tom Werner had a huge role in this because this is what he does, um, you know, everything that's happened this winter, it, it may not be good for Tom. I mean, Tom already hurt himself as stature within the organization with his full throttle comments, the addition of Theo Epstein, I think kind of nudges him to the side somewhat. And now what happens if this turns out to be a mess? I mean, this is not good for Tom. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You mentioned Theo Epstein. Since we last spoke, he's brought back in now as a part owner of the Fenway Sports Group, kind of an advisor and consultant. And though he'll work with everybody, right. we know he's going to work <laughs> with the Red Sox. Uh, how, how big a deal do you think this is? It's a huge deal. Uh, and it's interesting. In the way that this was rolled out, it was really clear that they tried to downplay uh, you know, Theo and his role. And I think this was him being respectful in the way this was handled. But just in making phone calls since this came out, it's pretty clear this was in the works for months and that he had a significant hand in Craig Breslow becoming the gentleman, uh, the, you know, head of baseball ops for the Red Sox. And, you know, maybe uh, when they came up with, well, he's an advisor, Theo's got enough accomplished. He's going to go down in history, remembered as the greatest general manager ever. He doesn't have to worry about a title. I haven't spoken to anyone who doesn't believe he basically is going to be running the baseball side of the Red Sox uh, and, and be active. And, in fact, you know, to some degree, that probably already took place. And I think if you're a Red Sox fan now, uh, 
it still becomes the, the symbol of credibility for the organization moving forward. You know, the Red Sox for 2024, they didn't bring in an ace pitcher. They didn't bring in some slugger. They brought in Theo. And there are not a lot of executives uh, around whom I think there would be a lot of positivity with the fan base. But Theo is one of those guys. I mean, let's face it, when they have their event in Springfield next year, where they've been booed constantly, Sam Kennedy and John Henry, uh, et cetera, when they have that event in Springfield next year, you would assume Theo probably will be on the dais. And you know what? He ain't going to get booed. And I, I think that he, uh, you know, he buys time for the organization to get it right. And from talking with folks in other organizations, they think that's going to take a while. Buster, um, does Theo undercut Breslow and Breslow becomes kind of a puppet at this point? No, I don't think he's a, I, I, no, I think that what, uh, I don't think he undercuts Breslow, A, because based on what I've heard, it sounds like that he was so involved in this thing that they probably ironed out what their potential relationship is going to be long before we ever heard about Theo being involved. Okay. Uh, and I think Breslow, you know, Breslow's smart enough, and he's a smart guy. He's smart enough to know when, uh, you know, when uh, in his conversations with Theo, it's best to defer. And I think for now, that would be a lot. You know, Breslow's really good from what everyone says on the pitching side. And it would be great uh, for you know him to focus on that. That's that's what they have a need. But for example, when we get to the trade deadline, you know, I don't know if he is going to be out front speaking about the deadline. But I think everyone would understand he would have a huge say in what happens. Interesting stuff there for sure. I can't wait to see how this plays out. Buster, the Red Sox did make one transaction today, signing uh, Michael Fulmer, the former AL Rookie of the Year, to a contract. Now, he's out all of this year with a uh, with uh, an elbow surgery or elbow injury, and uh, so I presume it's a two-year deal. And this is what qualifies as a big move in this offseason from hell, signing injured players that we won't see for a year, Buster. But I think for the Red Sox, it's a good gamble. You know, we've seen other teams do this. Uh, maybe the best example of uh, having worked out, you remember John Lieber uh, wow. you know, 20 years ago signing a deal with the, the Yankees and the first year was kind of a wash and the second year he was outstanding. You know, they buy, um, you know, they, they buy a pitcher who is someone that they're very familiar with, Breslow and Theo, because he, of course, was with, the Cubs. was with the Chicago Cubs. Um, I, I, I think it's an excellent investment. And, you know, even if the Red Sox are good next year, Fulmer makes progress and he comes back and he's an effective pitcher. Yeah, then uh, he's someone they could flip in the trade market. Yeah, and you know, like Jansen's deals up at the end of the year, they could move him still. They and, should trade him. Yeah, and, they should trade him. Look, I heard from another outlet today that they certainly are listening. I wanted to ask you, what are you hearing about his availability, their desire to move him, etc.? Um, that he definitely is available. Let's face it, when you're talking about an organization whose priority this year. And one of the priorities is to cut payroll. It makes no sense to have an established Hall of Fame caliber closer at $16 million. It just doesn't. Uh, and I don't know, you know, I mean, it might be a case where uh, they would have to eat a little bit of money to move him. Um, maybe they don't. Uh, you know, maybe they're figuring that if, uh, you know, they'll just wait until they get something of substance, you know, some prospect. I, I think they're actually in a good place with, with Kenley assuming that he's healthy, assuming that he pitches well during the year. It did feel like he turned a corner last year in how he prepares. Um, and I, I I think eventually he he's going to get moved. It makes no sense to keep an elite closer 
who's a veteran player who's headed to free agency when the year's over um, if you're not going to contend for a division. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider. Buster, you're the best. Uh, you got a Super Bowl prediction? Uh, I, I just have a hard time. It's interesting. When I look at the Kansas City Chiefs, they remind me now a lot of those Yankee teams yeah. that I covered in the late 90s because they would face teams that I think on paper were better than they were. But once you got into the postseason and the heart rates were elevated and the biggest games in the biggest stage, uh, then that's when the Yankees' experience would really manifest itself. And I think that's the advantage the Chiefs have over the 49ers. I think if you were to evaluate player to player, you'd have to pick the 49ers. But in a big game in the world's biggest stage, I'm really curious to see how Purdy responds. Well, we'll we'll find out. We've got that game for you here on Sunday. Buster, enjoy it. Enjoy Florida. We'll catch up again uh, next week. Thanks, Brady.